Hello, everyone. Welcome to Conversations with the Co-op. This is where we source questions from the Index Co-op community to gain insights from today's leaders in crypto. I'm your host, Crypto Texan, and today we have Ryan, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Decentral Games, with us on the show today. Ryan, thanks again for being here with us today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. And before we get into Decentral Games, Decentral Land, and Ice Poker specifically, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into crypto and how you ended up working at Decentral Games? I was really lucky to have a younger brother been working in the space going back to like 2017. And he really convinced me about Ethereum. I got, I don't know, summer, fall 2017. Back then was doing the whole yield farming thing. Decentral Land launched in like 2018. And some people who are pretty active in that community were in close friends with the two Decentral Games founders, God and Miles. At this point, they were like 22, just graduated from UCLA. So I was hearing about it there. I remember using Decentral Land in early 2018 when there were like, you know, a couple hundred users a month, but wasn't super involved. At that point, I was working at Amazon Seattle doing partnerships and worked there for about five years uh, in the books business. So it was just sort of a hobby uh, and investment interest. Then sort of fast forward to like 2019, I moved to LA working on some other things, working for Credit Karma at the time. I began doing like finance, which is my background, economics, actually game theory. So then I was just around the central games a little bit at that point, advising on stuff, hearing about it, and made the jump full-time about a year ago. So I think like a lot of folks who are in the space now, it feels like a, a lifetime, but it really hasn't been that long. Like last January, I was working full-time for a Web2 company. And Decentral Games, the token launched uh, December 2020. The first games were December 2020. And can give more background about Decentral Games and the history there, too. One of the questions I want to ask is, you know, were you doing this as just kind of a side hustle, a side gig at first? And what really convinced you to, to move all in, I guess, so to speak? Yes, I think it was first, like just viewing it as an investment, then started participating a little bit as the more side interest for a couple of years. And then seeing Scott and Miles, you know, how they were getting this thing off the ground, building games in 2020, because they go way back and a lot of credit to them being the, the founders here. Like they built the Matic building. Binance building, Dex Tower, and Decentraland back in like 2019. That's how they made a lot of the initial contacts. And so, and then got some grants to make games on Polygon. So they're the first to design, I would say, non custodial gambling games where, you know, there's no depositing of funds. The funds remain in your wallet. You're signing an EIP 712 signature to interact with the smart contract that's behind the games and with that that was something of like a side hustle for them and it wasn't until they like raised money to build 
what was the first product, a crypto casino, that it became clear, like probably to myself and others, there was really something here. And I think from that point, from when they launched to when I came on full time was only like a month or two. And so went from like advising first as a the brother to more like day to day and working with the team to like, no, I'm much more interested in this. And I'm at a point in my life where not married, don't have any kids, you know, ETH was going up, I was doing okay. I was like, this is the time to make the jump and go for it in Web3. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it would be helpful uh, just for those who are not familiar, if you could just give a little bit of background on what Decentraland is, because you can't really have Decentral games without Decentraland, in the sense that they're they have this very symbiotic relationship. So, can you just give a little background on Decentraland, and then maybe touch on Decentral games and how that came about, and how those two interact with each other? Yeah, for sure. Decentraland was arguably the first crypto metaverse to launch was almost exactly four years ago, January 2018, with 90,000 parcels of land. At that point, they were just auctioning off land. It was almost like just a a tradable NFT asset. I remember land was 50 or 100 bucks. Uh, At the time, mana was super cheap. They started rolling out NFTs that were wearables. You know, anyone can, can design their own items in the game and then sell them on the Decentraland marketplace. Small businesses like Meshroom, Polygonal Mine, then sort of the first iteration of Decentral games popped up in like late 2018 and started building buildings. So it's all unity based. People are building, you know, 3D assets that are buildings, selling them to each other. Art galleries were a big use case. I remember seeing lots of uh, Crypto Kitty art galleries. I think nowadays we're all sort of familiar with seeing like on cyber sort of galleries or crypto voxels and all of that. But that was going on in Decentraland three years ago. But a year or two in, there really weren't any like, games or experiences beyond like we're all going to get together and stream music. We're all going to get together and have a like a chat room in Decentraland. So I'm thinking back, and then people started developing games. And I think from developing games to all the interest in the metaverse in the middle of last year, Decentraland went from, you know, 20,000 monthly actives at the beginning of this year, or beginning of last year, to more like half a million monthly actives at the end of last year. So that's a bit of an overview about Decentraland, where you actually own the land, you own the assets, you have deployment rights over the land to build buildings, you can stream music, video in. And Decentral Games then emerged as we have the most daily active users within Decentraland, but as a builder of games on Polygon Network uh, in Decentraland. Yeah, and so, so that's how this works, right? So the Decentral Games DAO, because it is a DAO, correct? They the Central Games DAO purchases the Decentral land and then builds on top of it. And then I guess within whatever you're building, you can write additional code or write new protocols that create these 
I guess, roulette, blackjack type games? Like what, what are just a, a little more detail on just kind of the nuances there? Yeah, for sure. I can give some more nuance there with the caveat that I am not a developer or the operations side. But yes, people have built mini golf games, car racing games. The first ones that were released, we they did like a little lottery machine. They did a, a slot machine. So we did a slot machine. Uh, blackjack and roulette and sort of iterated on that, both with free play tokens and then supporting mana, die, and ETH bets on those machines. And then the Decentral Games DAO receives the proceeds of those games. And it's interesting because we're really on like version three of the business model for the DAO. Like the first idea that we had was that people would buy NFTs that represented tables, parcels of land within these casinos. And as far as we know, Decentral Games was the first to do a passive income NFT. So the idea would be that you would buy a parcel of land within the Tominoya Casino and you would get you know, half of the revenue that the game generated. And those things sold for a couple of ETH back when ETH was two or $300. And then after that, we launched the DG token in December, the DG DAO. So those were sort of like symbiotic ideas where, you know, the other part of the revenue would go to this DAO treasury. If you go to Decentral.Games, you can see on the DAO page, the assets there. And then really for like the first half of 2021, the DAO was generating two or $300,000 a month sort of from the games hosting, I would say four or five events a week with like NFT artists, musicians. We partnered with uh, Atari to do a building for them, have hosted like um, Dylan Francis and, and other artists to come and do musical events, things like that. And then those funds, the DAO votes on how to allocate them. And for example, like uh, a year ago, Decentral Games was uh, was purchasing MBI and pairing it with ETH and you know, earning index tokens at a rate of, I think the APY back then was triple digits, but, and, you know, became close with some of the folks at Index Coop there. But the main use of funds so far has been to purchase more land that's panned out really well. We expanded our holdings of Decentraland land from about 100 to about 1,000 parcels of Decentraland land. And then over time, used the proceeds from the casinos to supply liquidity to our tokens and then ultimately to support the launch of Ice Poker, which is really like 100% main focus at the moment, is our play-to-earn ecosystem that launched in October. And so, yeah, it sounds like y'all have a very active treasury management strategy for the Decentral Games DAO in the sense that you do own this Decentraland metaverse land, right? These ERC-721 tokens. And is that, are you holding those for future potential builds? Or are you holding those just to speculate on the potential future value of the land? And another question I have is, you know, you've got, like you said, you've got the MVI, which is the Metaverse Index Token, which is an index co-op product in your treasury. And you've 
activated some intrinsic productivity with that from liquidity provision. How are these investment decisions decided? Is this uh, pretty centralized in the sense that you know you're the chief operating officer and you kind of handle operations and finance, or are these strategic investments uh, voted on by the Decentral Games DAO? So, yeah, how does all that work? Yeah, so the treasury is completely managed by the DAO. You go to like snapshot slash Decentral Games ETH, you can see, I think just over 100 DAO proposals over the last year. Super active. We have, I think, about 350 people voted on the last DAO proposal. But to your point, it is true that, like a lot of other projects, many of the proposals are coming from the team. Um, so I can think of a lot of examples where the team was proposing these sort of things and, and the community was supporting those, or um, people from the community were proposing ideas for allocations of funds. And those. But anything that involves the use of the DAO's treasury needs to be needs to go through a DAO vote. And we use Snapshot for that, which is not on-chain voting, but I don't know if people are familiar with Snapshot. It, you get votes based on how many you know, DG tokens you have. Right. I think the majority of people in this audience are, are familiar with Snapshot voting, probably. But I, I think one of the most important things when it comes to Decentral Games is how you're able to incorporate the odds for each game on the blockchain, right? Where you can publish the smart contracts on chain. And then when it comes to the odds, like I can see the math behind the numbers of how, you know, each card is drawn or, you know, the probability of how, you know, my chances work in blackjack, which is, I feel like it's a pretty good metaphor to what we're trying to build just in a greater sense on the crypto scale, right? Because, if you think about going to Las Vegas and how do you ensure that the odds at the casino are fair in Las Vegas? And they've got the Nevada Gaming Commission, which is a regulatory entity that comes in and says, okay, this is fair. This is what certain casinos are allowed to do to ensure fairness, right? And that's really the whole thing behind blockchain and decentralization is that if you have all of the odds published on chain and people can go on chain and verify those odds, you don't really need that regulatory body there anymore, right? If you can audit the smart contracts. Is that, I don't know, do you kind of see that metaphor? And how do y'all incorporate the odds for each game on the blockchain? And is there a way for... I don't know, just Joe Schmo to go in there and, and verify the odds for themselves? Yeah, so I know we use Chainlink VRF for randomness, but beyond that, I couldn't speak to exactly how it works. I would, I can come back and direct you guys to like the GitHub repository, but I'm just not the right person to speak to exactly how that technically works on the blockchain. But I do think like the aspect of the games being on chain and it being non-custodial where you're interacting with these smart contracts that are audited, that is really important and and innovative. Right. In and terms, 
Yeah, go on. Well, I was just saying, like, I think there's like a social aspect to it as well, in the sense that, like, I'm not a developer. I can't go to the GitHub repository and verify that these are similar odds to what would, you know, be happening in a Las Vegas casino, you know, in the meat space. But there are a lot of people who can verify that. And, you know, if the, the social layers, you know, that on Twitter, there would be, I guess, a lot of commotion if it came out that these were not accurate odds that were being portrayed in the casino. And so that I think, you know, if you don't have that technical background, there is that social aspect that provides comfort or, I guess, security to the players within uh, the games. But let's move on a, a little bit more, because right now, Decentral Games is currently only in Decentral Land. And I'm just curious to know, do you see a future for Decentral Games that moves beyond uh, Decentral Land? Or, you know, maybe like Sandbox or Nifty Island or, or some other metaverse are there any long-term short-term plans for that that you're aware of yeah so that's a great question and takes me back to i know you asked about why we've accumulated so much land and decentral land as well we're using about i think we've we've built on more parcels than anyone else we're using like 400 out of a thousand parcels so it's not like we are just accumulated it for purely investment reasons like it was Smart that we bought land at 500 bucks and now it's $13,000 a parcel. It would be way more expensive to accumulate land at this point versus a year ago. Probably the same is true of other metaverses. In terms of expanding, we are not actively looking at other existing metaverses. There's really nothing live that would support the sort of gaming that we're doing. Like that's, and a sandbox is now an alpha, but they don't have a scripting language to make these sort of games, and the sand like SDK is pretty restrictive. It's kind of like, uh, could you develop a, a poker table in, in Roblox or in Minecraft? It's like, I, I do think that Sandbox will, will come along over the course of this year and probably add features for developers. But as far as we know, the last we, we looked, you can't really develop games of this complexity Elsewhere, perhaps in Insomnium space, looks like so that's Unity-based and, and has a sort of scripting language, but it hasn't been a priority just yet. In fact, uh, a little bit of what I wanted to talk about was the transition from gambling as a use case to play to earn, because we have... We routinely have, you know, a thousand plus people at our events, but, you know, never really broke like a hundred, 150 people doing crypto gameplay over the course of the last year. And so even with Decentraline going up substantially, it wasn't a super popular use case. It was, you know, sort of whales contributing the majority, the profits of the treasury there. Whereas with Ice Poker, which is played earn ecosystem we can talk about, we grew to 4,000 daily active users uh, over the course of now two and a half months. So it's just far outstripped the potential there. The gambling space, both from like an active users and the revenue perspective that we can get into. And we do think that as we approach during peak hours, close to 1,000 concurrents, like 24-7, we have no less than 500 concurrent players playing ice poker. 
and it's up to a thousand that Decentraland right now was struggling when they did the Samsung event to support three to four thousand like concurrent users. And we work closely with them as they, you can imagine, expand their capacity to support these sort of concurrence, which is expensive as required. But we do see a risk that as we look to grow ice poker on the order of 10x over the next four or five months, that we want to build a browser-based mobile version of the game for a couple of reasons. Also that Part of the core audience for play to earn, when you look at like Axie Infinity being one of the majority use cases here, 90% of the audience is playing mobile. And that we could do a sort of simpler onboarding for the game directly through our site on a browser based mobile version versus uh, Decentral Land, which is you need some pretty substantial hardware to run it really effectively. Uh, and then there's the question of like, you need to onboard into the Decentral Games ecosystem, which in Ice Poker means either purchasing a wearable or receiving delegation to a wearable within our Discord to play the game and onboarding to Decentraland. So I think before we would look to expand the offering into other you know, virtual worlds, we would try and, say, tap out the sort of potential that we're able to get at the moment within Decentraland and then concurrently be growing our in-house uh, mobile browser-based version of the game as well. Because it's a risk to our business if Decentraland can't grow at the speed uh, that we're growing daily actives. Yeah, have you all run into any bandwidth issues when it comes to the amount of users that are interacting with the central games? So in terms of, I would say, generally not yet. A couple weeks ago, there was that issue with Matic being super congested. That was causing a lot of issues for us and everyone else built on Matic. But we haven't tapped, we haven't hit the upper limit really of of concurrent users into Central and just yet. We're doing okay there. Yeah. So let's transition more to play to earn. Let's talk about Ice Poker. You know, how did this idea come to be? Was it? I, th- I think I read somewhere that maybe it was an acquisition or maybe a merger of, of another protocol. Can you just give us a little background on I, what Icebooker is and how it became such a big part of the Decentral Games ecosystem? Yeah, not a merger or acquisition built 100% in-house. And we had the advantage. Let me, let me take a step back. I mean, we knew about Axie. I think a lot of people in the gaming space have known about Axie for a long time. But between May 2020, here's the figure, May 2020 and August 2020, maybe September, they grew from 10,000 daily actives to 2 million daily actives over about four months. And as we're now seeing, that was, that was good and bad for them to grow that quickly. But they just really broke into the like global consciousness over the summer. And we had been focusing our development since Q1 of 2020, since we launched Blackjack and Roulette in the previous December, on getting poker right, which was a pretty hard problem. It's a game where you're actively playing against other players, a bit more complicated. And as we were getting close to wrapping up poker, 
we said, what if this was, like, what would this look like as a play to earn ecosystem that was modeled closely after sort of the Axie style dynamics? So, you know, within Axie Infinity, you need to get three axes in order to play the game. And then the more axes you have, the higher level they are. You can do more quests, I think up to 12. You can battle other players and things like that. Within our ecosystem, you need an ice wearable in order to play ice poker, which is just poker with some challenges that I can talk about. And then you can earn ice. So players are earning between $20 and $100 a day playing ice poker at the moment. The price of ice is, is relatively, remains relatively high. And they complete challenges, which earn them experience points. You need experience points to upgrade the wearables, levels one through five. As you upgrade them, you can earn more ice. But unlike Axie, we didn't do a breeding model. So the reason Axie was able to grow so, so quickly is that the supply of Axies can inflate exponentially. You know, two Axies can make seven more Axies. Those seven can be make 40 more and so on as you pair them. It gets more expensive to breed, but there's a marketplace for Axies. And as the demand for them shot up, people were able to breed and, and create quite a bit more. Whereas in our ecosystem, people mint the wearables during mints, like the one that's going to happen in. 30 minutes. And so we have a lot more control over the supply, the DAO does, I should say, around the pricing and release schedule of these wearables to meet the demand. And then within Axie, most of the game is really around this breeding component. So no offense to the Axie game itself, but it's the exact same game every single time you're playing it. The really interesting part is making smart decisions about which axes to breed with which other ones to make exactly the right axis you need to do X, Y, or Z. We don't have that like complexity around the metagame. It's like a given wearable upgrades to a level two, three, four, five that just looks slightly different. The hat changes color or appearance, something like that. But the game itself is much more skill-based. So you're playing poker with two to five other people and the main determinant of how much ice you earn is you start with three thousand chips at the beginning of the day and it's like if you're in the top five percent of performers around chips you get substantially more ice than if you're in the bottom five percent tile and like every you know percentile going up and down that's a major determinant of how much ice you're earning so the game's a little different each time and it's skill-based around playing poker but it's not gambling because you can come into our Discord, receive delegation to a wearable, play poker with the chips each day, and you can only make money. So free-to-play, play-to-earn is one component of it. And the other one, of course, is the sort of guild component where people accumulate wearables in order to delegate them out for a 70-30 split to the player, and that produces passive income for the people delegating the wearables. There's a lot there. Oh, pause. But that was really the pivot from gambling to play to earn. Yeah, thanks for that, Ryan. And yeah, that, that was a lot there. But I think what I'll do, I'll just kind of share my experience with the central games in a way to kind of summarize a lot of what you're saying. So I do have two wearables and I have delegated both of those wearables out to 
two individuals that live in the Philippines because and the, the reason they're so willing to do this and grind, you know, three to four hours a day playing poker is because the amount of money that they make grinding it out on poker with my wearable is, you know, more than the average wage in the Philippines. So there's a huge benefit for them to do so. And in return, I get 30% of the ice that they grind out. Ice being the native token for ice poker. But another thing that being involved in Decentral Games has really helped me with is that it gives me a really great way to explain to people who are not involved in crypto the true opportunities that non-fungible tokens can provide. Because I've had people ask me, you know, I don't, you know, they say, I don't get this whole NFT thing. And I'll say like, well, I own some. And they're like, I, I don't get it. And, and what they're seeing is just like the very popular mainstream part of NFTs, which are, you know, the board apes and the profile pictures that people spend, you know, millions of dollars on. But when I tell them, yeah, so I have an NFT that is a wearable for my avatar in a game that grants me access to an exclusive poker room in the metaverse. Okay. And then I tell them that I own that wearable. I own that NFT and I can sell it uh, if I want to. Uh, I can use it to gain access to that poker room or I can delegate the benefits of that NFT to someone else. Okay. And, you know, I keep it pretty simple. I say, you know, I delegate it to someone who wants to play and I get 30% of their winnings. But, you know, like you said, there's more nuanced things than that. It's not just like 30% of their winnings. It's 30% of the earnings they receive based on the achievements that they hit within the game. But it really just opens up their eyes and they think, oh, well, yeah, I would do that. Where do I buy one? And these are people that don't even have a MetaMask set up yet. So I think this is a, you know, these play to earn games are a huge opportunity just to open up people's eyes to what the potential for this type of technology can do and there is just so much potential here and i think like you talked about earlier the moving from desktop only to mobile could be a very huge potential unlock for the central games because i think having a desktop a desktop only game is a little bit more restrictive uh, i think and so outside of moving from desktop to mobile what other things are y'all doing at Decentral Games, I guess, to attract demand for new players? Yeah, for sure. And appreciate the story there. Definitely see a lot of demand for players, though, or I should say a lot of demand from players. In fact, I would flip the question a little bit because at the moment, play to earn is really attractive. For players, we've seen ecosystems spring up and get to 10 to 30,000 active players over the course of a few weeks, and then generally crash to zero over the course of a month or two. You could think of a ton of examples that launched over the summer and fall where Axie Infinity has a lot of staying power, but things like um, Crypto Mines or the first iteration of the Wolf game, others that, that crashed really quickly, were actually not very focused 
on how do we attract players to the play to earn ecosystem, which is probably a surprising answer. Like we could have grown this substantially faster than we have from zero to you know four thousand players over the course of about three months. And the reason for that is that that explosive growth, a couple other reasons I can speak to why I think that the central games should fit in that Axie category of like a sustainable play to earn ecosystem. We've only been live three months. We have a little longer to prove it. It's more about we're focused on designing you know, a fun game that people want to continue playing. Like, would people play poker if the rewards were lower than they are now? And an ecosystem, an economy that is sustainable, where there are reasons for people to reinvest in that ecosystem beyond just making more money immediately tomorrow, right? Like a lot of the mechanisms that these games developed that have come out recently are like stake token to get 1.5x more token in a week or stake NFT item to inflate item where I, I put item in staking for three days and then I get two items out uh, at the end of that. So deliberately, we built in mechanisms where, you know, when you upgrade an item, you take level one to level two, but that level one is is burned. And we, the second sync that we have, Jiho at, at Axie often talks about faucets and sinks for the play to earn tokens. So the sync would be, like, even at the scale we're at now, we're paying out about $140,000 a day in ICE tokens. That's you know 1.2 million, 1.1, 1.2 million ice, at 12 or 13 cents, something like that. And so, how is that sustainable? And the answer is that about 50% of that ice that goes out gets reinvested into upgrading the wearables as it's combined with XP. And there are guilds, say small businesses almost, that are interested in accumulating these higher level wearables. Who have a lot of delegates. 10 20 of them and the numbers are set up in such a way that they're accumulating these experience points to upgrade wearables at a faster rate than they're earning ice so the owner of the nft gets all of the experience points because they're the one who can upgrade it but only 30 percent of the ice so we see people who have many delegates going out on the open market on quick swap and actually buying ice so how do you generate a sustainable source of demand, both for people to earn ice and burn it to upgrade items, but also for people to buy ice, to upgrade wearables within their guild. And then thirdly, we often do mints done to uh, in ice that took quite a bit off the open market. So two and a half months in, we watch these numbers very closely. At a high level, about half of the ice that's gone out has come back in the form of um, burning upgrading and then another around 30 percent was bought up for the purpose of doing an ice mint and then that got burned by the dow and then another roughly 20 percent so they got uh, bought up by these sort of guilds or speculators in order to so this was ice that wasn't earned but was purchased to then upgrade wearables so we're watching very closely that like Nothing is free, basically. You can't just pay out six figures a day indefinitely if you don't have 
the money coming back into the ecosystem, reinvesting into it. So uh, I would say the focus is more so on getting those ratios right, the incentives right, both within the poker game itself and in this like meta game of upgrading the items. So I think that if we minted 10,000 more items, they would sell out and we would find 10,000 new players fairly quickly. But a lot of these ratios would get really imbalanced quickly. So part of why Axie, I think, was able to succeed is that they had this like two or three year runway. And it took them you know, two years to grow to 10,000 daily actives. A lot of these games are getting there in 10 days and then collapsing because they haven't designed the, the economy right. And is that part of the reason why the Central Games is doing these NFT mints, you know, like twice a month is to monitor those ratios of how much ice is going in and how much ice is going out? Or is that, or is there another reason for that? Yeah, exactly. We're, we have 4,500 items in circulation. This month we'll release about 2,500 items, um, which is like a comparable month over month growth to last month. So yeah, that's exactly right. We're, closely monitoring these things and i think we have plenty of player demand look the demand is going to be there from players to make on average 30 to 40 dollars a day i would say that the sort of middle 50 percentile percentiles are making that like 30 or 40 dollars a day range the demand is going to be there we're seeing the demand to buy these items on OpenSea. the floor is like about an eth for the items on secondary but Want to make sure that continues to be the case that there is more demand than supply on the items so that the the items retain their value and that ice in roughly equals ice out so that ice is retaining its value ice has had some volatility the plate earned token but it's the same price today as it was two months ago so it's been much more stable than any other uh, play to earn token yeah, from a price action standpoint, I've noticed that it usually hovers around 10 to 15 cents. Maybe it goes up to 20 when there's high demand, when you're using ICE to mint you know, the NFTs. But what is there a roadmap to how many NFT wearables the Central Games will mint for this, for ICE poker? Like, is there a target number of NFTs by the end of year? or in the next three, five years? What goes into that decision process? Three to five years is too far out to think about exactly how many users I think we would have. Right, typically is in crypto. Three to five years is hard. At at a year, we've said that our target's about 200,000 by the end of this year. Probably pretty ambitious. Um, and that we're looking at about 20,000 by... April of this year, so to grow from about 4,500 to 20,000 over the next three months or so. Um, and then at that point, I think we would know more about what the potential growth is within Decentraland. Hopefully by April, we have a beta version of the mobile experience, potentially sooner. Um, it's being worked on in the background. Then I, I can sort of imagine that we would have, getting really in the weeds about the items, you would have nfts that worked for the metaverse and worked for mobile and then you would have mobile only nfts that were perhaps cheaper and had lower rewards 
And I can imagine rolling out faster to mobile than we have to uh, the metaverse. So maybe by the end of this year, we have like 50,000 people playing in the metaverse and 150,000 people playing on mobile. But I, I would say it, it is, I would be wary of anyone in the crypto space trying to forecast out a, a year. It's tough. A year ago, our business model was completely different. Our focus six months ago was very different than it is today. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it says a lot about the DAO and the organization and that you have the ability and the willingness to pivot where you see uh, trends in the industry or opportunities elsewhere in a similar subsector. And so you're talking about potentially there will be mobile only or mobile compatible NFT wearables versus maybe desktop only or desktop compatible wearables. That kind of goes into one of my questions where, you know, some of these NFT wearables for ice poker have, you know, they're a one of 100 NFT wearable versus I think a lot of the other ones who have come out or the past two or three mints recently have been one of 250 type of wearable. So do you see any advantages in the future or are there any advantages now of owning a one of 100 NFT wearable versus a one of 250 NFT wearable? And I'm assuming like later on down the road, there'll be like a one of 500 or a one of 1000. Is that maybe where the mobile compatibility might play in or what kind of advantages are there currently? Yeah, that's a super interesting question. So we did four sets that were one of 100. There are five items per set. So that's 500 times four, 2,000. And then we've done two mints of 250, which is 1250 each. That's how you get to this 4,500. So we have like 2,000 items that were 100 count each and 2,500 that are 250. Uh, We've seen that the market just values the rare wearables more. Like it's kind of like in NFTs, that like maybe there's nothing special about the the gold ape or the whatever the really rare there's not like per se additional utility to have like a zombie crypto punk other than it demonstrates that you were in the ecosystem early or that it is just rare like flexing so to speak like metaverse rare metaverse clothes has been a thing in decentralized for years we're seeing that pick up with like artifact and sale to nike um Board apes and, and Adidas, along with Pixel Vault. Uh, but there have also been, like, I can't answer the question exactly what we'll do with, like, bonuses around these because it's an open question in the, in the community where someone uh, outside the team did propose that we say that the earnings bonuses change based on the rarity of the wearable. There hasn't been a proposal around that yet, but you could imagine that one of uh, 100 wearables earn ice at a 20% higher rate than the one of 1,000 wearables. So that's not decided. That's something that was was proposed uh, sort of informally so far. So that could be something that's happened. But I would say that the, the open seat floor on the wearables is 1E, but the floor on the first collection, the ice suit, is 3.5E. They earn ice at exactly the same rate as all the rest, but people value the first collection at 3.5x, I think just due to the rarity of it and it it being first. 
Yeah, so maybe the value there is a combination of utility and clout, I guess. Which, when it comes to like the profile picture, I mean, it's it's a combination of that, right? Like the board apes, that there is certain utility that you get with owning a board ape, but it's mainly clout. When at the end of the day, so I understand that that's where probably a lot of the premium for a lot of these NFTs come from. So what about other poker related games for ice poker? So I, I love poker. I love to play poker, but right now the main game of choice or the only game of choice in ice poker is no limit Texas Hold'em. And I was wondering if there's any thing on the roadmap or any discussion about implementing games like Omaha seven card stud uh, maybe even like I don't know five card draw just some other poker games or and outside of that you know currently all of the tables are six-handed right so do you think there's any potential or discussion to expand it to like a a standard nine-handed poker table that's interesting so right now yeah you can play with a minimum of three at a table or up to six I would say right now, the development focus is on assigned seating to prevent collusion within the game. And that's been a really contentious issue within the community because we we would like it to be a social experience. But then also, I think, as you know, as a poker player, you're playing with someone else at the table and you guys know each other's cards. That's an enormous advantage over everyone else and a big problem. So that's actually probably the biggest gameplay problem that we're trying to solve right now is complaints that collusion is taking place and we did just launch this in late october so two and a half months ago and we are there's always little improvements that can be made to the existing game and making it smoother Um, we recently like updated the blinds by by a vote we've got the cards dealing faster a lot of ui changes going in to answer your question, I think that that's a, a really interesting idea to offer. We've thought about offering different blinds at different tables because there are some people who want to play a faster-paced game with higher blinds. People who want to play with, with lower blinds. Implementing a different game like the, the Seven Card Stud or Omaha I think wouldn't be too, too hard and is probably a a good idea there. There have also been questions about whether our other games like Blackjack and Roulette would be brought into to ICE, the ICE ecosystem. And I think the answer there is probably not because the game needs to be player against player, sort of social in that respect. I think it's not clear how like Roulette exactly fits into that. Plus, Roulette is just an EV negative game. So, in general, you would see players losing over time we could say that you could bet your chips and that would count towards your multiplier on these other games and then you know we hope to see other games experience like what axie talks about all the time is that the reason they've spent so much development focus on the ronin chain is that now they have 2.7 million users with funds on ronin we're familiar with the ecosystem using ronin exchange and slp and that they want other developers to develop games within that ecosystem and build on Ronin. I can imagine that whether it's by partnership or, or acquisition, like as we get this ecosystem off the ground, like it would be great to see the DAO vote other 
games being brought in, but it, it's just really early. There isn't a comparable level of, of development game, arguably within just Central and just yet to partner with. It's like a a social game of this kind, but definitely see the vision being beyond people buying a wearable and that just allows you to play hold and poker being like the end game of um, the play to earn economy and ecosystem. And maybe another question we had was outside play to earn where it really is just peer to peer gambling against another person, you know, right now it's, it's just like a very different version of poker the way ice poker is set up and do you see a future where you can actually you know sit down and play like a cash table like with your ether or mana tokens against other players or maybe just like a a true poker tournament in the traditional sense Uh, do you see anything like that taking place i don't want to get too far out ahead of what the dow is voted on here but at the moment i uh so it's like a bit of alpha for people listening here like it's it's really hard to build these um cash games on these like truly decentralized chains people were trying to do it on eat oh and then got blown out of the water we used to pay one tenth of one cent on matic fees now it's more like five or ten cents so still profitable, but coming up against the edge. And probably the way to build sustainable on-chain crypto games is to build your own side chain like Axie has done, which just isn't a development focus for us. And when you look at the amount of transactions that like on-chain poker requires, it wouldn't be with where Matic fees are now, it probably would not be profitable for the DigiDAO to host on-chain, on-matic network poker. Whereas Ice Poker has been hugely profitable for the DAO and hugely profitable for for players and investors so far. So it's just been, the focus has been on the Ice ecosystem versus on-chain, on-matic gambling, where I'll I'll give you an example where, you know, so it's non-custodial, it's via these smart contracts. It costs about five cents to do a transaction. You know, transaction, you place a bet, that's a transaction. At the end, there's a second transaction that sends the funds to the DG Dow Treasury or sends them to, to you plus you know, the 2x. So that's about 10 cents. The house edge on Blackjack is about 1%. It's like 0.7, but let's say 1% for simplicity. So if you're betting $10, then your expected losses are 10 cents and the transaction costs are 10 cents. Now, our average bet sizes are larger, 20 or $30, but it used to be that this was a trivial percentage of the, of the bets, and now it's more like a third to half of them. And we, we see this becoming more of an issue. So I'm being as transparent as possible that I don't think it, it makes a ton of sense to focus on the crypto gambling side. And in terms of revenue to the DAO, this month, I would expect the crypto casino side to make the DAO about $300,000 and for Ice Poker to do about $6 million in revenue. 
Right. Yeah. That, no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. No, I appreciate you answering that so candidly. And we're running up on time here, Ryan. And I, I've, I've really appreciate, really appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us about this really exciting project. Obviously I'm involved, so I like it. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on that maybe didn't get a chance to touch on? The one other thing I would note is that we recently released guild management tools that are comparable to like what YGG and, and Merit Circle are trying to do around Axie. So we were the first game to put delegation into the experience itself. So we actually have trustless splitting of that 70-30. Huge problem with Axie is people finding delegates to play for them for a month and then just not paying them at the end of that because it's trust-based delegation. And so the guilds are trying to solve for that. The guilds take a 10% fee. We've built like man guild management tools and delegation into the experience. Um, I posted in the, the general for what this looks like if you have many items and you're trying to like keep track of how your players are performing. And so we think that this, it protects players it allows people managing their guild to see the data, to not spend a bunch of time like digging through on-chain data, will hopefully lead to better gameplay as it weeds out the people who are not playing playing as well. So like a I you have to be, I think, pretty into the you know, sort of later in space to see why this is uh, important. But Merit Circle and YDG are both over a billion dollar fully diluted valuation projects where like the majority use case is like this problem that shouldn't exist in the first place and frankly this took us like a couple weeks to roll out seeing like that this was a problem so i would if you're in the audience you're thinking about rolling out like a play to earn game or ecosystem or you're in one now like those games should really be building it into the experience itself rather than having like a third party extracting 10% of the ecosystem value uh, to solve this problem for you. That's my throwing shade at, uh, at the guild management tools that exist third party. Well, yeah, and I've checked out the guild management tools that the central games has on its website right now. And it's, it's great. It's very helpful um, because previously I was just having the people that I've delegated to send me screenshots of their progress every day. And then I would just have to go back and, you know, check to make sure that that is actually what happened on chain. And this is a much simpler, easier way to do it as well. So are you delegating any wearables, Ryan? Yes, I am. I've, I've minted several times and I've bought quite a few on secondary. And uh, I think it's important for, we fair launched them, so everyone on the team has had to either mint or buy them on secondary. I've also done no partnerships where we did OTC deals or anything like that. So had to buy all of them. And I think it's important that the team delegates at least a couple so that they can uh, and hops into play from time to time so that we like understand the player experience and the delegator experience. Right. And that's part of the thing that I've kind of tussled with a little bit is, you know, I've got two wearables. I don't really have the time to play and I want to make these, you know, active assets. So I've delegated them, but at the same time, I want to play too. And so, yeah, I'm going to try to mint another one today. And yeah, we're right here at time. It's minting time in Decentral Games. So uh, why don't you just 
you know, tell people where they can learn more about you and Decentral Games. Yeah, absolutely. So hop into the Central Games Discord. If you follow us on Twitter, at Decentral Games, um, hop into the Discord, go to Decentral.games. Uh, are probably some great resources there. We've got our white paper for ice poker at ice.decentral.games. And but I, I would say like just joining the community via you know, keeping up with us on Twitter, joining the Discord, seeing what's going on there. You'll keep up to pace and announcements. And then if you're trying to get involved in all things metaverse and gaming, like start coming to some Decentraland events and Decentral Games events. Yep, absolutely. Well, Ryan, thanks again for being on the show with us here today. Uh, this is being recorded, so we'll get this out in about a week. And uh, everyone else, have a great weekend. Thanks again, Ryan. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you as well. Thanks for everyone who listened. All right. Bye, everybody.